something seems hot. So, <clears throat> all right. The title of today's message is Temptation, the Enemy's Attempt to Steal. Temptation, the Enemy's Attempt to Steal. <clears throat> First Thessalonians 5, 19-22 says, Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And in this, we're the ones who have to do the testing. And we have to do it because not every thought, not every word that is spoken to us or about us is from God. Because we have an enemy and we live in a fallen world. And this fallen world is governed by Satan. And he is God's enemy. And because you are alive, he's your enemy as well. <clears throat> so he is going to speak lies to you and about you and about others and everything else. And so not every thought that we have needs to define who we are. Some of us have been defined by things that have been spoken over us and their lies from the enemy, but we've held on to them and we have taken them as truth when they're a lie. How many times have you been told in your, and don't raise your hand, but how many times have you been told in your life that you are dumb or that you're lazy or that you're not going to amount to anything good? I mean, they even said that about Jesus, right? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? So we have to be discerning as to what is from God and what isn't. <clears throat> and so that brings me to, <clears throat> excuse me, Proverbs chapter 4. But you can turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20, it says this. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. So it's our responsibility. We're the ones who have to be attentive to the words of God, of our Father. We're the ones who have to pay attention to them. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. And that word when he, in verse 23 when he says keep your heart with all vigilance. He's talking about guarding our hearts. We have to. We guard our hearts by guarding what comes into our minds and what we allow to stay in our minds and then eventually work down into our hearts. We are the gatekeepers of our hearts and we're the ones who need to govern what gets planted in our hearts. <clears throat> There's competing voices out there. And so we are the ones who are to test everything and guard our hearts. That's our responsibility. We have to make sure that we find those places where we can be still and know that God is God. You know, we've talked about this in the past that we've got to be still. We have to find those places. And we have to remind ourselves that 
God is God and we aren't God. We have to do that. We have to remind ourselves on a regular basis. And I want to encourage you. It's much better for you to find your own quiet place than for God to provide that quiet place. I mean, He will provide it if you don't make your way there. But it's much easier for us to do that. And it's more beneficial for us to do it when we're not in trouble. We need to find that place when things are going well for us. That's when we need to find that time and, and make sure we're, we're studying His Word and, and uh before the trial comes, we're not just reading it, but we're studying it. We're meditating on it because when the trial comes, it's, it's kind of late to be trying to find his word and have it hidden in our hearts the way the word says for us to do. <clears throat> it is much better to find that place before we're challenged and before we go through the trials and the fire so that we have a foundation that we're going to be able to stand on. And though it might shake. It won't give way. Because they will come. And when they come. We can know that we are prepared. For it. And it's in the quiet place. The quiet time that we learn. The sound of the voice of the Lord. So we know it when we hear it. Last week we looked at. James chapter 1. And I want to. Look at it again. We'll get to Hebrews in just a second. But in James chapter 1 verse 12 it says. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test. He will receive the crown of life. Which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted. I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when. If I say when. He is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire when it has conceived. Everybody say when. When it has conceived gives birth to sin. And sin when it is fully grown. Give, or brings forth death. Do not be deceived my brothers. In other words this is how temptation happens. This is how it is. And as I shared last week. It's very important to see this. Temptation, test, and trial all come from the same root word. And it's our response to the trial or the temptation that determines which one it is. Is it a test that we pass or it is a temptation that we fail? And, you know, we have to be the ones who are aware of this. And it says in here, when evil desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. So we talked about the process that takes place. And it gives birth to sin. Let, let me, I didn't get on this last week, but I just want to take a moment to talk about this. It gives birth to sin. You know, in the natural, when a baby is born, when birth has occurred, man, it is so exciting. It's so invigorating. It's a breath of fresh air into the system. And even though you have to do all of these things for that new baby, you take great delight in doing that. Everything is exciting. You're so thrilled to uh, change their diaper. You're so thrilled to feed them. What? Of course you are. 
you're so excited after you feed them and then they, you pat them on their back and they burp and they throw up on you. That's so exciting. I mean, it doesn't even bother you. And, and then you're anticipating their first steps and so you're just, and when they first roll over, you're just elated. You can hardly contain yourself. And then they take their first steps and you think the world has stopped. And so when it's conceived, it gives birth to sin. And that's the way sin is with us at first. It's exciting. We think, man, this is liberating. I'm free now. No, you're not. You're just setting yourself up for more trouble. Because after the excitement wears out, you know what you have to do? You still have to feed that child. You still have to burp them. You still have to change their diapers. And when it was inconvenient at first, it didn't bother you. But now it's really inconvenient and it's starting to bother you. Because there's a pleasure in sin at first. And then reality sets in. And then you sit there and you have to change their diaper over and over and over again. And you're just wondering to yourself, when is this child going to be able to do these things on their own? Because it's no longer a thrill anymore. It's a challenge and it's a burden. And when you fed them and then you burp them and then they throw up on you, then you get irritated with them. You see, at first it's all exciting and then after a while it begins to wear on you. You have to bathe them. You have to clothe them. And you're just longing for the day when you don't have to do that anymore. <clears throat> that brings us to Hebrews 11. Because that's the way it is with sin. When we give in to temptation. It's so exciting at first. But then the excitement begins to erode away. And we're faced with the reality of our sin. And this is what Hebrews chapter 11 verse 24 says. It says, by faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And if you know the story of Moses, his mom realized that he was a special child and, and, and saved him because pharaohs were killing the babies and he got sent down the river and got saved by Pharaoh's daughter. And his mother took care of him, fed him and, and took care of him. But it, and then as he grew up, it says that he refused to be known as um, pharaohs, but chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Because sin is exciting at first. And you think that you're liberated. You think that you're free. But you're not. You're just really going into more bondage. And then in verse 26, it says this. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking. 
to the reward. Sooner or later we find out that sinning is not freeing like it was at first. And we find ourselves in more bondage and less peace. And it takes more and more work we're discovering to convince ourselves and to convince others that we aren't in sin. Than if we would just repent and turn back to God and, and walk with Him again. There's much more effort in, in sinning than there is in walking in peace with God. And then I just want to remind you of Psalm 1, verses 1 to 2. And I'm going somewhere with all of this. I know that we repeat, we had this last week, but I'm going somewhere. Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. So the unblessed man, the unblessed woman... She walks in the counsel of the wicked, stands in the way of sinners and sits in the seat of scoffers. And when we're talking about walks. Maybe at work you hear things as you're passing by the water cooler or the break room or wherever you start to hear these things. And you start to pick up on them and then you start standing in the way of sinners. We find we begin finding those that think differently. And they speak contrary to the word of God, but it's pleasing to our minds. And then we begin to examine our lives and we think, I can have that too. It's just like in Psalm 37 that we read for offering. You know, when we're in sin, just like with Adam and Eve, they didn't die right away. You're not going to die right away when you enter into sin. But there are consequences that you're going to have to suffer through eventually. But we look at people and we think, oh, well, they don't have it that bad. Their life is a whole lot easier than mine. They don't go to church on Sunday. They don't have to read. They don't have to give. They don't have to spend their time praying and everything seems to be going okay with them. Well, it looks that way, but it's not that way. And then it says that he sits in the seat of scoffers. And now we've made the progression into sin and turning away from God. And now we're seated with those who reject God and his truth as a whole. And I say truth as a whole because when, when you know the truth and then you're sitting with the seat of scoffers, then you only have a portion of the truth that you adhere to because that's the portion that you agree with and you stop short of the whole truth. In fact, and we, we touched on this last week, that God hates sin so much that in order for it to him to have a right relationship with us and to bring us back in the right state, he had to become sin for us. That's the whole truth. People misuse the understanding of God's true grace in our lives when you're trying to Trying to justify your sin. Well, God's grace will be upon me. What Romans says, no, that's not. We're not to sin so that God's grace can be greater upon our lives. We begin to, when we sit in, with the, in the seat of scoffers, then our perception, our view of who God is changes. 
And when our view of God changes, guess what? Salvation, the definition of salvation changes. The definition of faith changes. The definition of love changes. Because we have a change of who God is, and now we have to have a change of all that He represents. And here's what I want us to see this morning. There's three things, and they're all associated in one. Every temptation that we face, okay? Every temptation, first of all, starts with a thought. And that thought is a lie from the enemy. Okay? Every temptation starts with a thought, a thought that is a lie from the enemy. That's the first part. Second part. Every temptation that we face is a test of the identity of who God is. It is geared to get us to change our thoughts about who God is. And here's the third part of that. Every temptation is geared to get us to change our thought about who God is. Because once our thought about who God is, then our thought about who we are has changed. And so... Every thought that comes starts, or every temptation that comes starts with a thought. The thought is a lie from the enemy. It's geared to get us to change our identity of who God is so that ultimately every temptation is geared at changing our identity for ourselves of who we are. For us to sin. Alright, you ready for this? For us to sin. The enemy has to convince us. Of a different God. And once he has convinced us of a different God. Then he convinces us that of us having a different identity. And when we have changed our identity too. Now we are free to sin. That's how he works. He did this in the garden. And he's still doing it today because it still works. When in order for us to sin, our perspective of God has to change. Our perspective of who we are has to change. And once once our perception of God has changed, our view of God, once that's changed, then we are going to sin. It's just a matter of when. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, please. This is why it's so important for us to know the Word of God. To be filled with the Word of God. To study the Word of God. To meditate on the Word of God. To 
have the Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us and strengthening and encouraging us in the Word of God. But it's also why we have to have people around us, godly people who can speak into our life, who when we start to uh, go in the wrong direction, they can come to us and they can speak to us and they can challenge us and, and get us on the right track or not. Because one of the other tricks of the enemy is, is he wants to isolate us. And once he isolates us and we separate ourselves from godly counsel, then it's just a matter of time before we're going to sin. Genesis chapter 3. 1 to 7. Genesis 3, 1 to 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. <coughs> Excuse me. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves one cloth. So in here, the enemy convinced them that God was not loving and good and their understanding of who God was changed immediately. And when that changed, then that gave them the freedom to sin. And they did. And as soon as God's identity changed in their hearts and minds, then their identity changed immediately as well. And they sinned. And the same is true for us. So how does he get, how does he do this? He presents us with doubts. He gets us to doubt God. And look, doubt is not evil by itself. But when you allow doubt to rest in you, and you begin to question the goodness of God, the love of God, the character of God, the nature of God, because of a doubt, then you're going to end up in trouble. And the way you know something is a doubt is you have to know His Word. You have to know how God is. You have to learn about His character. We have to learn about His nature. We have to know Him. So that when the enemy comes and he begins to present this doubt to us, we can answer it. The same thing, he brings lies to us. He lies to us about who God is. Isn't that what he did here to them? He did that. Now they knew the truth, but they didn't walk in it. And the same is true for us. We can know the truth, but that doesn't mean that we're going to walk in it. And manipulation. The, the enemy loves manipulation. He, he sees a circumstance in your life. He sees that you something happened to you and now it's become a stronghold. And so he just 
waits patiently and, and he manipulates things in your life to where you begin to doubt the goodness of God. Because once you do that, then he's got you. He lies about God. Well, if God was so good, if God was so loving, why would this happen to you? And the one that the world bites on all the time. Well, if God was so loving, why would he send anybody to hell? He's so loving that he won't send anybody to hell. If you end up in hell, it's not God's fault. It's your fault. Because you failed, you refused to believe in the Son, His Son, Jesus Christ, for your salvation. He had nothing to do with you going to hell except for the fact that He brought you Jesus and you rejected Him. Well, if God is so good, why are all these bad things happening to people? Because we live in a fallen world. Because God loves us so much that He doesn't want us to be robots. He doesn't want us to have to. He wants us to choose to love Him. And this world is not our own anymore. Or is, is, this world is not controlled by God. It's the enemies. Because when Adam fell, that's when the world changed. And that's when evil and bad things began to happen. All the enemy did was get their eyes off truth, bring in a little doubt, and then their perspective of God, His love, and His goodness changed. And this is all he did. Did God actually say? Challenging the Word of God. And then when she says what God says, he says back to her, you will surely not die. Contradicting God's word. And those two, the one question in that one statement are what caused them to be tempted and change their mind of who God is. And the same is true for us today. It's no different. The enemy, if you know the word, he's going to try and contradict the word in your life to get you to change your perspective of who God is because as soon as your perspective of who God is has changed, then you have to take life, your own life, in your own hands and you have to begin to control it. Because God cannot be trusted. And that's a lie. When we sort through this, this ought to be our proof. Okay? That every thought that we have doesn't come from God. It, it's mind-boggling how we have come to believe that. And it, it's proof that not only does not every thought come from God, but every temptation is geared, is designed to get us to change the identity of who God is in our minds. And once that has happened, it is designed to get us to change our identity of who we are in our minds, and then we're more free to sin. And this is why we have to saturate ourselves in God's Word. Knowing God's Word doesn't happen by chance. Getting God's word into you is not going to happen by osmosis. It's not going to happen when you lay your head down on the pillow 
and He's going to start pouring these things into you. He, it doesn't work that. You have to read it. You have to listen to it. You have to speak it. You have to study it. You have to pray it. And that is our, all our responsibility. We have to memorize it. We have to... Don't shout me down on this one, but we have to obey it. You know, I've, I've met a lot of people who know the Word of God, but they don't do the Word of God. And James says that's not good. That's like a man looking in a mirror. So we have to do all of these things, but then we have to be obedient to the Word of God as well. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul is writing to a messed up church. <laughs> and he's trying to help them. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13 says this. Well, first of all, let me, he's describing some of the false apostles and teachers and stuff that have come in. And so in verse 13, he says this, 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. So they look good on the outside. They sound good for a moment. But then verse 14, he says this. And no wonder. For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. What does that mean? It means that he gets sin to look so good to you that it's tempting for you to say yes. He never presents the end result of sin, which is what? Death. He never presents that in the picture. He always presents sin as being exciting and fun and liberating. For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And part of this is, is he lies to us and tells us that when we give in to sin, guess what? We're going to be enlightened just like Adam was. Isn't that what the enemy said? When you eat of this, your eyes are going to be open. You're going to know you're going to be like God and you're going to know good and evil. In other words, he was enticing them with. You're going to be enlightened. You're going to know so much. You're going to have all this wisdom. And as we read earlier, it says that the enemy was more crafty than any other beast of the field. So that's why we need to be on guard. That's why we need to know the word of God. That's why we need to be vigilant to understand how the enemy works and his schemes. Because if he can work in us and he gets and trust me, in order for us to sin, he has to change our perspective, our view of who God is. And once he's done that, we're going to sin. Because we're going to have to take matters into our own hands. 
we're going to have to be the one in control. For the record, how many people do you know who have been hurt through various reasons? I mean, there's a lot of hurt out there. And what is the conclusion? I'm going to have to be in control of my own life. Okay. Then plan on more hurt. And no help. Turn with me to John chapter 8, please. We're going to close with this. John chapter 8. I'll give you a moment to get there. And what was happening in this chapter is Jesus was challenging the religious leaders because they were claiming to be Abraham's. And he was like, no, you're not Abraham's because if you were Abraham's, you'd be believing me. And so he makes this statement concerning them in John chapter eight, verse forty four. And it's a long verse, so. And he says this to them, to the religious leaders. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning. And does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he lies... He speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Here's the problem. If we don't know this, if we don't believe this, if we don't put this into practice, the enemy can lie to us all day long and we're going to Take it hook, line, and sinker. I remember when I was a young believer and Diana's father came around. And this is before she was traveling with him. And so, um, and I remember him making this statement and it has stuck with me. If you know the enemy can only lie to you, then when he speaks to you, Believe the opposite. And that is what is true. All the enemy has to do. Is get us to change our view of God. And then he has us. And we will do whatever he suggests. And I want to. Give us an understanding about this as well. The enemy cannot make us do anything. He cannot force us. He cannot even command or demand that we do anything. In the scriptures, there are commandments that God has given us that he intends for us to do. There are things that he has told us that we are to do. Now, he can't force us to do them either. But they are commands, they are demands. Okay? For instance, in Matthew, it's not coming up, but he says, when you pray, he doesn't say if you pray, right? He says, when you pray. 
He says, when you give, when you fast. So those are commands. Those are demands that God is placing on us because of our faith in him, in Jesus. But the enemy has no hold on us. So all he can do is make make suggestions to us. And we have to decide what are we going to do with that suggestion that he gives us. Are we going to take the bait? The main point that I want you to see this morning is. Every temptation starts with a thought. And that thought is a lie. And every temptation is designed by the enemy, by Satan, to get us to change our view, our perspective, our understanding, whatever you want to call it, of who God is. Once that has changed, then our identity has changed as well. Okay? I want us to get... That's the main thing that I want you to see this morning. And I really hate to do this to you. I will feel guilty for a little while until we start eating. But I'm going to offer up a way that the enemy gets us to change God's perspective. And then I'm assuming that the Lord is willing we will pick this up next week. But here it is. Probably, I don't know for sure, but probably... Satan's number one way of getting us to change our perspective of who God is. To tempt us to change. To bring in a thought to us. A lie to us. Is by offense. By us being offended. By us allowing ourselves to be offended. If you haven't figured this out yet, if you are breathing sooner or later, somebody is going to offend you. It's going to happen to all of us. So we have to know how to deal with offense when it comes. How do we deal when we are offended? Because if we don't handle those right, then that becomes a stronghold for the enemy. And he just keeps piling on the lies and the lies. And then we get more entrenched in having a wrong view of who God is. And then we have a wrong view of who we are. And that offense, if we don't deal with it quickly and properly, becomes bitterness in us. And when that happens... The enemy has us. And that is why it is so important for us to watch over our hearts, to test everything that comes into our minds, to protect and guard our hearts and our minds with all diligence and vigilance according to the Word of God. Let's stand together.
So this week, you can begin to ask the Lord if there's any offense that you're holding on to. And trust me, if you are, He will let you know. Because He doesn't want you to hold on to it. He doesn't want that to cripple us. Okay? Father, we thank You for this day. And the love that you have for us. And Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth of your word. And Father, I thank you that you are doing such a great work in us. And it's a deep work in us. And Father, I pray that we would continue to give you the freedom to do that work. And Father, I pray that you would teach us to be more diligent and vigilant over our hearts and over our minds. That we would watch over them. That we would guard them. That we would keep them. According to your word father. And we ask this in Jesus mighty name. Amen. And father we thank you for this food that is uh, prepared for us. We thank you for the abundance of it. And Lord we ask that you would bless the food. And bless the time that we have together. In Jesus mighty name. Amen. And amen.